Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Well, I'd like to welcome to the podcast Del Cullum, who is uh, the go-to person in these parts on Eastern Long Island for anytime somebody has a raccoon that they can't get loose or an animal that's been stuck somewhere in a tree or in a fence and you come and I might, I have to tell you that a, l- a long time ago, I was sitting on the porch of my house in Bridgehampton and a, a Quetzal bird flew up and landed in a tree. That's a giant parrot from Guatemala. Wow. I recognized it because I had lived in Guatemala. And we called, so it was somebody else at that time, I guess your predecessor. It was a woman. She came with a net. And she couldn't get him. He flew off. So then she left. That's what happened. Wow. <laughs> I watched from the porch the whole time. How yeah. did you get? How did you ever get interested in the work you do for all these? You know, Dan, I, I've been doing. I've been dealing with wildlife practically my whole life. I remember as a kid, um, you know, finding uh, bird eggs that that were discarded out of nests and like robin eggs perhaps. And we put them on heating pads, me and my friends, and we'd put them on our heating pad. Sure enough, they'd hatch. And of course they were in the most fragile state. And you didn't know what to do at that point, but you thought, you know, you could feed them and they would grow up and sit on your shoulder. And that whole fantasy (laughs) just thrilled me. Um, Of course that wasn't what happened, but at the same time, I learned that, you know, you couldn't, you, it wasn't that simple to keep a, a, a very small bird like that. Where were you living at that time? I, I was living on Hedges Lane in Amagansett. And see. I'll never forget it because somebody had ran into one of our pillars uh, for our driveway and it fell over and a bird nest was on top, fell on the ground and I picked it up and I put it on the, the broken half, put the eggs back in and expected mama to come back. Well, she never did. So I took the eggs and brought them in. And <laughs> sure enough, they hatched. But after some cornmeal feedings, it just didn't, they, they expired. And I learned that it wasn't that simple. So it intrigued me and I just stuck with it. Did you have any episodes of that sort of thing in high school? No, no, I can't think of any. Uh, during that time, you were a normal I, kid then. I I was quite normalized at that at that point, be, particularly because I was going to high school out here in East mm-hmm. Hampton High School. So there's lots to do, lots to do. At that time, we had football games still mm-hmm. on the weekends, and you know we had our beaches. And I, I don't know, we did things different back then when we were kids, Dad. So you've been seriously doing this for the last how many years? Dead serious for the last 30 plus years, about 32 years. I've I've been encompassed with wildlife, probably with multiple 
things. You know, I do a little CV, I do a little writing, I do a little rehab and rescue and removal. So it's it's been part of my whole life for the well, past. I've seen you. Years. I've seen you online where you kind of write a diary of your day, and it seems very often to be a series of get in your car and drive somewhere to save a uh, an animal. Um, and uh, and these are have you ever been injured while th these animals must feel very distressed? You know, yeah, multiple times a day I get called to do these rescues. Injured, not seriously, although if you count me breaking my back from falling off a roof, what happened there <laughs> was in 2017, I was getting a, got a call of a report of a raccoon in a cage on a roof and Where? Uh, it was in Amagansett down in Beach Hampton area on the dunes. We had a big storm coming in and I thought it was probably best to, to, to get to this raccoon and get him out of there before the storm hit. So I brought an aluminum ladder, got up on the roof, which was already two stories off the sand and uh, got the cage off the roof with the raccoon in it. Just started to sprinkle just a little bit and I stepped onto the ladder, and which was sitting on a wooden deck, by the way. And, you know, I've been doing this for so many years, and this is a really good lesson for everybody. Doesn't matter how many times you do it, safety's got to be priority. Because I took that first step, and the ladder went out at the bottom, and I fell back a good 12 feet right on my back. Uh, and, and shattered a vertebrae and broke, uh, uh, fractured another uh, vertebrae. And I, I, I'm lucky to be walking. Um, well, you have, it didn't deter you from what you've been doing. Absolutely not. In fact, I credit it with getting me back up and on my feet quicker than ever. I'd say about three or four months after the real month or two of heavy recovery, I was back up and doing it again. Not, not necessarily under the advice of my doctor. I didn't take his advice the first time and I kind of overdid it, but, but I paid the price for that. Um, ultimately, I'm at a point, you know, I'm at the point now where it, it's, it's certain things I just, I, I can't lift a deer anymore and carry it up to my truck across the yard. I used to do this often, uh, last year even. Uh, it's just not possible now. Do you have an assistant? I, I, I have a fantastic assistant who's been rescuing animals with me. Probably every single animal we have out here he's rescued with me at least once. And uh, he is, without him, I, I wouldn't know where to go. Uh, but he's going to uh, carry the torch for me and continue doing the rescues while I go and focus more on the education. Is it the deer the largest animal that you've rescued? Here, here, yes. yeah. And, and uh, you know, I did this in Idaho a little bit and we dealt with a little bit bigger animals like moose. Um, <laughs> and down in Texas, we had things like bobcat, coyote, but here, yeah, deer. And believe me, no less dangerous, Dan. You know, I've been in an attic on many, many occasions up here where there have been raccoons with babies uh, all around the mama suckling away. And I'm trying to uh, ask them politely 
uh, to leave the residence. Um, <laughs> and I'd have to get, I'd have to sometimes get in the position where they're in the middle between me and the exit. And uh, I'll never forget, there was one TV, uh, TV production company that came to me and was interested in making a TV show. And, you know, I told them a little bit about what I was doing. And one guy, one of the little, one of the guys who stayed quiet the whole time comes up and he says, uh, you have anything more dangerous? And, and, I, and I almost swallowed my tongue because he just didn't understand what it, how dangerous it was to approach, you know, a, an, an eight-point buff that's tangled in a fence <laughs> or, or perhaps a raccoon mama surrounded by her babies that doesn't want to leave an attic uh, in the middle of winter. So, you know, there's certain things you really can't express in, unless you're there. Well, how do you protect yourself then? There's plenty of gear out there, Dan, to um, ensure my protection, whether it be leather chaps and good pair of boots. Of course, we always wear gloves. And some of these gloves are heavy gator gloves that go all the way up your arm and are leather. I even have a pair that have metal staples in it that are crush proof. Um, you know, a lot of times we can keep the teeth from puncturing our hands when we when we rescue an animal in distress uh, with that has sharp teeth, we can keep them from puncturing, but the crush value is still a, an element we have to be careful of. Um, certainly a, a fox can give you a good snap and, and the claws of an eagle uh, or, or a big uh, bird of prey, like a great horned owl can be very, very dangerous too. So, you know, uh, proper eye protection and you know, long sleeve shirts and proper gloves. And of course you got tools that you can use, Dan, like a, 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 a stick with a noose on the end of it, a grab stick, catch pole and uh, long nets. And really the method I like to use a lot is just talking to the animals. Really? Down onto their level, letting them know, letting them feel the calm in your voice. Letting them feel you have no fear, you're calm with them, you're there to help them. And just like it would to you in a strange, if you had been in a strange country and you needed help and people didn't speak the same language, you'd be surprised how similar that metaphor is because it really is. When an animal hears that voice and is reassured of the comfort and uh, uh, lack of threat, you'd be surprised how easily they can make a rescue uh, 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 go, you know, without injury. That's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I, I've come to, to have a trust for these animals. I, I trust they feel my, my calm and my voice and the way I work with them. Um, you know, I constantly am talking to them in a nice, calm voice, letting them know it's going to be fine in tones that I believe uh, takes the fear or at least the confusion out of it and it, you know it's important because the animal's already stressing out it's injured or or it's in need of help what's so, the most um difficult rescue you've done that took the longest time well i can tell you the, the most difficult time is anytime you're rescuing an animal that's been suffering and you know that that animal is suffering and now you have to put a little element of stress in there to help that animal and then you still don't know if you're going to help it. But I'll tell you, Dan, there's one that stands out among no other. 
one one uh, summer, I think it was in 2014, out here, it was a spring actually, when the, uh, you know, the village did that uh, uh, overectomy operation on the deer when they sent the white buffalo crew out here to, to uh, stifle the population of deer. And they did these overectomy surgeries in the field during a very brutal winter that we had that year. Yeah. And that spring, you know, things went along and I got a call right around the corner from where I live now in East Hampton, right over on McGurk Street, there was a deer with a baby that was hanging out of the mother's back end and it was clearly dead. And the deer was very disoriented, the mama doe was disoriented. So I rushed over there with my wife and as soon as we got there, we saw the deer fall. So we ran over and my wife put the deer's head in her lap and she stroked her head. And the uh, baby was, her head was coming out of the, the, the back end of the mama. And you can tell that the deer had been decomposing for quite a while. And that's in fact what happened, Dan. When they did the ovarectomy surgery, the deer was pregnant. She had, the deer started to form, it did die in the womb, and then started to decompose in the womb, which created some necrotic tissue around the living does back end. It was a mess. And I called up a private vet who I went to school with and I said, what do I do? She said, you got to get the baby out. Yeah. So I had some Vaseline. I greased up my arm. I put my arm all the way inside of her and felt the back end of the deer. And I pulled the deer out. Oddly enough, there was twins. And the second deer had also died. So I reached back in. I pulled out the second deer which unleashed a flood of sepsis, septic, sepsis, liquid, black, just toxic fluids that came out of this poor doe who then just uh, felt like, a, like a, a huge burden of relief had been lifted and then she passed. Oh. So it was, a, it was a bad ending. However, it was the start of a lot of attention that followed about how horrible, how horrible a method that was to attempt to use, uh, to control the deer. It, it created, and it wasn't the last one. There were others to follow, but none was as traumatic as that. That one stuck with me and my wife for quite a while. In fact, we took the deer and disposed of it and had it buried properly. It, it was just a very sad, sad day. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Any else? Any any snakes? Did you ever get bit? Uh, no, I've been bit. I, I get bit quite a bit, but not seriously. Of course, we don't have any venomous snakes out here on Long Island. Um, however, I've done this in areas where we do have venomous snakes. I've handled a lot of rattlesnakes in my day but we don't have them here. And that's a, 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 a very big point to be made out here because I get calls constantly that there are venomous snakes 
in people's homes. And in fact, uh, they're not at all. They're just snakes that are common to our area. And if people don't know, they're intimidated. They're snakes after all. So, you know, I, I can completely understand where these people are coming from. I'm just grateful when they call me rather than take out the, uh, the old uh, nine iron and uh, take care of business on their own. <laughs> and I try to educate Dan and that's, that's why I'm, I'm re refocusing my efforts, what I'm lacking in being able to do on live rescues as I get older here. I want to keep the organization alive. I want to continue educating both adults and children about our wildlife, their importance, the burdens that they face every day out here in the Hamptons, uh, much like my little friend who just who just flew off, and I'll grab and I'll grab her again. But that's my owl, and I wanted to tell you a little story about her. This is Athena, and she's a screech owl. And they're very common out here, Dan. And they, you know, we don't see them a lot because not only are they nocturnal, but as you can tell, they're quite small. Yep. And what happens is they eat bugs. So at night, at dusk, when the bugs are around the lights that are just coming on in the neighborhoods and along the roadways, these little guys go out diving for food. And sometimes they fly into vehicles. And that's what happened to Athena here. She flew into a car. Fortunately, her size and the amount of feathers she has, she actually rolled off and the person stopped. She brought her to the rehab center in Hampton Bays who brought her back to health. The problem is, is she's blind. They had to remove one of her eyes. Her other eye lost vision completely. So they either had to put her down because she can't hunt for her own food anymore or somebody has to take care of her the rest of their life. That's where I came in. So I take care of her. She has a beautiful house outside. We became best friends. And I take her to all the schools locally, even some up the island. I've even gone out of the state. And now I'm preparing to do this up and down the East Coast and even nationally, as long as I can continue to get the word out how important our wildlife is and how we have to uh, take measures. Uh, using our hometown as an example, Dan, because you know the wildlife's in a tough position. They're running out of room. Even we are. There's, there's yeah. too many cars on the road. Yes. Our, our houses are too close together. Imagine how the animals are, feel. So, and that's what I do. That's my job, to imagine how they feel, be their voice and worry for them. And I do what, real bad out here. What's the name of uh, the organization and the phone number? The organization is Wildlife Rescue of East Hampton. We have a website that's W-R-O-E-H dot org. And we have a hotline that's 844-SAVE-WILD, S-A-V-W-I-L-D. That's 728-9453. And from there, you can always contact me for information, advice, nuisance wildlife advice, anything about wildlife that I can help you or answer a question for you. I'm there for you 24-7. Absolutely. What's the most unusual uh, situation where somebody's been tied up or got a head caught in something? 
Actually, uh, a good one. A couple years ago, I got called to a, 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 a gentleman in Springs who saw something high up in a tree. And I got a ladder up there and there was a little tiny hole about the size of a teacup. And out of that hole was the head of a raccoon, a baby raccoon. I called this, I called this rescue the reverse poo. Like the Winnie the Pooh, remember how he got his head stuck in the tree? Yes. Well, this, this raccoon baby got his head stuck coming out of the tree. He got his head, instead of coming out of the big rotted cavity in the tree, he stuck his head out of a small hole and it got stuck. Oh. So I had to get up on a ladder and of course it, it was up high and the ladder was thin. So it couldn't balance. We had to do a whole rope system. I was in a harness and I was up pretty high and it took two hours to very, very carefully chisel away with a chisel and hammer, chipping little pieces of wood out little by little until I could get enough of the bark away from the neck of the raccoon and was able to push his head back in and not get bit at the same time. <laughs> Needless to say, when his head went inside, it was the cutest thing because he just, he didn't know what, he looked out of the hole. He was happy as could be. He didn't know what just happened. And uh, Ma, mom came up and grabbed him and pulled her back into the <laughs> So it was pretty, pretty rewarding at the end. That's, that's wonderful. Have you ever uh, rescued an eagle? Uh, no, I have not. In fact, uh, the eagle that uh, they rescued... I think it was last year uh, in Lazy Point, the call came in to me and I was busy on another rescue call. In fact, I had that one and one on standby. So I had to refer it over to uh, uh, another, over to the uh, Hampton base who were, we were fortunate enough that they uh, found a volunteer to go get it because in fact, it was a juvenile bald eagle that uh, had a little issue. Um, and they cleared it up over at the center and released it. It was a beautiful thing. But no, no, lots of birds of prey, lots of osprey. Of course, for the past uh, seven years, Dan, um, in October, when all the ospreys migrate down south, um, I have 14 nests here locally throughout Akabonic Harbor and a couple of other areas that uh, I attend to and I go clean and I pull all the debris, all the entanglement debris, like uh, twine and, and strings and fishing line and lures and any debris that I feel is gonna be dangerous to the, to the following years uh, uh, when they come back and have more chicks, we clean them out. So that's, that's part of the function of our organization as well. And that's doing preventatives. So we're always happy to have people call us and say, you know, Dell, I, I, I don't want to hurt the animals, but, you know, the birds are, are nesting on top of my chimney and I, I don't know what to do. Well, I'll help you find out what to do in the most humane manner. And everyone will feel good when it's done that way. Oh, this is wonderful. You're doing a wonderful service for people and for the animals. I thank you for being on the podcast. Hope you have a nice day and 
Maybe you'll even have a rescue in your day today. Who well, knows? You, can, you can always count on it, Dan. And I want to thank you as well for having me on uh, and all the years uh, of, of, uh, uh, of great entertainment and publication. And, and Dan, I hope to see you at the Artists and Writers game as I do all the time. Love taking pictures and seeing you down there. Are you going to come to the game? This uh... It will be my last, my last one until before I move. But uh, I always look forward. It's my favorite event in the Hamptons. Has been for years. We'll see you there. Yes, sir. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.